hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are joining us for worship here today. I know we have a bunch of people here in person, but also we have a ton of people worshiping with us online. So if you're here in person, if you would, put your hands together. Welcome in our online family. So glad to have them with us. And when my family moved to Oklahoma a few years ago, I was told that Oklahoma experienced mild winters. Somebody lied to me, okay? I just want to let you know. No, I get it. We've had an unusual couple of weeks here. It's been crazy between the frigid temperatures and snow and ice and power outages and uh, frozen pipes and school cancellations and business cancellations and all that stuff. It's just been nuts. And We've had our fair share of issues here at our, you know, First Church campus as well because uh, we had some frozen pipes this week. You probably heard about that. That's why we have some extra kids in the room today because the, the worst, I guess, the, uh, the worst experience we had was in our first year's area. We had the pipes for our sprinkler system freeze up, and this is what happened. That was, what was that, like Tuesday or something like that? It was crazy. And then we had other pipes burst uh, throughout the week as well. We tried everything we could to prevent this from happening, but it happened anyway. And so even though we still have first kids ministry going on upstairs, the first years, we don't have that this Sunday. So pray for Amy as they're navigating everything. We do have a family room set up with some toys and activities if you need to use that. But we're also happy to have our little ones in the room with us as well. My daughter Addie is in here with us, so glad she gets to listen to Daddy this morning preach, so that's pretty cool. Uh, but just be praying for our church as we do navigate all this kind of stuff because it's been a crazy few days. And I'm somebody, I do love the snow. I love to get out and go sledding with my kids and all that. I love the snow. But I'm about over it right now. I don't know about you. And in fact, there was a commercial that was on TV a few years ago from a travel company. And I think it captures how I feel right now about winter weather. Take a look at this commercial. We all have a winter breaking point. Anybody there with me? Okay, I'm, I love the snow, but I'm done with it for now. Okay, so, but you know, we've had a lot of distractions this week. Uh, maybe you did as well, but I still believe that God has great plans for us, and we're not going to allow for those distractions to stop us from what God wants us to do. See, we're in this series right now called Big Dreams, and we believe God has big plans, big dreams for our church and for your life, but here's the thing. Whether or not those big dreams happen, well, that depends on us. And I believe over the next two weeks, God could do something pretty extraordinary in our midst. But it all depends on how we respond to him over the next two weeks. So we've been looking at this guy named Nehemiah. Nehemiah, I love his story. I've loved it for many years, but I've especially loved preaching over the past few weeks. We've still got one more week. Next week, we're going to wrap this whole series up. But I love the story of Nehemiah because he was a guy who God used to lead a broken people to restore a broken city in order to shine light to a broken world. And I love that word broken. Not that I love the idea of brokenness, but I love that this story is all about that because that's my life as well. Sin has broken my life, and it's probably broken yours as well. Our lives are in pieces because of what sin has done to us, but God didn't want to leave us there. God wanted to restore us, and he has the power to do just that. 
And the Bible teaches over and over again that there is no brokenness that our God can't restore. Whether that's a broken culture or a broken family or a broken life, there is no brokenness that is beyond God's ability to restore, God's ability to heal. And through the blood of Jesus and through his spirit working in our lives, he can pick up the broken pieces of our lives and put us back together again. And that's why I love the story of Nehemiah, because Nehemiah was dealing with the people who were broken. They were spiritually broken, they were emotionally broken, but they were also physically broken. Their city, the city of Jerusalem, was nothing but rubble and debris, and it had been like that for 141 years, and the people had pretty much just given up hope. They had settled for brokenness as normal, but Nehemiah comes on the scene to let the people know God has bigger plans in store for their lives. God had bigger plans in store for their city. God wanted Jerusalem to be a light to the rest of the world, and he hadn't given up on that plan. But the choice of whether or not they were going to live out those big dreams, that was up to them. And so Nehemiah comes to the people of Jerusalem, and he rallies them, and he explains to them how God has bigger plans for their lives. And within 52 days, the people come together, and they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, which, again, had been destroyed for over 140 years. And that was a miraculous feat. And Nehemiah says the only reason why that happened was because the gracious hand of God was upon his leadership and upon the people. God moved and empowered them and helped them accomplish this big dream that he had given Nehemiah. And I just want to ask you today, do you need God's gracious hand on some part of your life right now? Is there some area of brokenness, some hurt right now, some guilt, some pain that you need God's gracious hand to be upon? Do you need healing from him? Do you need to be made whole again? Do you need God to fix the broken pieces of your life? Do you need God's gracious hand to rebuild what's broken in your life right now? Because he can do it. He can rebuild your life, he can rebuild your family, he can rebuild our community, he can rebuild our schools, he can rebuild our country, he can rebuild our world. He has the power to do it and he wants to do it. He has big dreams for his people. But even though he has big dreams for his people, the choice to live out those dreams, it's ours. And we see this theme all throughout scripture. We looked at this verse a few weeks ago, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. God says, I'm willing to forgive you. I'm ready to heal you. I want to make you new again. But did you notice the first word in that verse? If. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, that I will give them the restoration that they need. I will restore their lives. We see this theme all throughout Scripture. When you look in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 3, verse 20, look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Now, I've heard this verse preached on numerous times, and typically when I hear this verse preached, this is how people use it. They say it's an invitation to salvation, basically. Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. If you'll just open your heart to him, he will come in, and he can save you and all that stuff. And I guess you could use that illustration if you wanted to, but that's not the original context of this verse. What this verse is saying, Jesus is actually saying this to a existing church, 
a church that already was formed, made up of Christian people, people that had already been baptized, already been saved. And he's saying to them, I'm standing on the outside right now of your lives. I'm standing on the outside of your church. I'm knocking on the door trying to get back in. And you won't let me in. If you'll just let me in, I'll come in. I'll die with you. We'll celebrate. You'll experience the joy of heaven if you'll just welcome me back in. But right now, I'm standing on the outside. You see, God has big dreams for us. God has big plans for us. But the choice is ours whether or not we live out those dreams. And so the question is, are you ready to live out God's big dreams for your life? Because that's the question that the people in Nehemiah's day had to answer, both before and after they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. See, we understand why they had to ask that question before they rebuilt the walls. Because God was giving them a big task. And so, do you want to do this? Do you actually want to make the sacrifices and do what's necessary, do the work in order to build the walls? Do you want to do this? Do you want to live out this big dream of rebuilding Jerusalem that God has for you? They had to ask that question on the front end. But then they also had to ask that question after the wall was finished as well. Because what they had to realize is that even though the wall was complete... God wasn't finished with them yet. You see, the book of Nehemiah is not just about restoring the walls of a city. That's what we typically focus on, the fact that they rebuilt the city. But it's not primarily about rebuilding the walls of a city. It's primarily about restoring a people back to God. Because a city is more than just bricks and mortar. A city is more than just its physical landscape. Primarily, what makes up a city? The people within the city, right? And what good is it if you have a well-fortified wall and a nice, well-built city, but the people are still broken? The people are still morally corrupt. The people are still spiritually empty. What good is it if you have a great physical city, but spiritually speaking, the people are still far from God? Because the whole point of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem was not just so that Jerusalem could look nice, The point of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem was the light that was supposed to come out from those walls. God intended for Jerusalem to shine light to the rest of the dark world. In order for that to happen, the people had to come back to God. They had to commit themselves fully to Him. Because, you know, there was a day years before Nehemiah was alive when Jerusalem was a fortified city, when it was strong and mighty and they had a good economy and a government system that worked and all that kind of stuff, there was a time when Jerusalem was the envy of the world. But over time, people started to put their faith in things other than God, worship idols like their stuff and their power and their possessions and other people and you name it. And they lost sight of what really mattered. They lost sight of God. And it was obvious what they were missing, but they just kept getting further and further and further away from God. There's a website that I sometimes go to that's entitled, You Only Had One Job. And I love this website. I check it every now and then because there's new posts all the time. And basically, people document uh, individuals who had one job to do and they messed it up. You know, they failed big time at it. And I love some of the pictures that are on here. You may have seen this before. Here's one picture that's on there. It's a football field in the state of Minnesota. And apparently in Minnesota, midfield is up for debate. Because if you notice, the logo is not on the 50-yard line. It's on the 45 
25-yard line. You only had one job, and you blew it, okay? How about this example right here? Now, you may think at first there's nothing wrong with this because it's a nice, you know, kid's shirt, whatever. But if you notice, it says here, if you can see it, happy hippo. That ain't a hippo, okay? That's a rhino right there. And so I showed this shirt to my daughter, Addie, the other day. I was like, Addie, what animal is that? And she said, it's a rhino, silly. I mean, even my three-year-old knows. But apparently, whoever designed this shirt, they messed up. You only had one job. Okay, how about this next example? This is a back-to-school display. And we want our kids to have pencils and crayons and glue and stuff like that. Knives? I don't think so. I don't think anybody wants kids bringing knives to school. Somebody messed up there. You only had one job, okay? I love this next one. This is a sign for the College of Architecture and Planning. And if you notice, they didn't leave enough space to put the entire name of their college there. So they didn't plan very well in putting their sign up to their college. And then here's one more. It says, do not enter and then enter only. So again, you only had one job, and the person who posted this picture said that they stood there for 30 minutes wondering what to do. So I don't know if that would have been you or not. You only had one job, and you missed it. You weren't focused on what you needed to be focused on, obviously. And sometimes we do. We miss the obvious, don't we? And that's the thing. The people of Jerusalem knew they needed God, but they missed what was most important. And Nehemiah doesn't want that to happen again. Okay, we've rebuilt the walls. We're rebuilding Jerusalem. It's great. We've done this wonderful thing for God, and that's awesome, and God's been with us. But we can't slip back into our brokenness again. We've got to make sure that this doesn't happen because this story is not just about restoring a wall. It's about restoring a people back to God. And I think that's why Nehemiah is so relevant for us today. I mean, since I've been preaching this series, it's been a long series. But since I've been going through this series, I've heard so much positive feedback back from you guys. Because it's so relevant. It speaks to the situation we're in today. And during this past year or so, with everything that we've been through as a community, as a country, throughout our world even, everything that we've been through as human beings... I think we can relate a lot to Nehemiah because I think we've been awakened to some things that we've been missing that we should not have been missing. I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody tell me, you know, I realized during the pandemic that I really wasn't investing in my family like I need to be. I wasn't spending time with my family like I need to be. That I was too busy at work or too distracted with this hobby or whatever. And I really wasn't spending time with my kids or my spouse like I should be. I've had people say, I didn't realize how much I was taking my parents or my grandparents for granted. The time that I had with them, and now I don't get to see them. And I didn't realize how much I was taking that for granted. For people say, you know, I was just moving at too fast of a pace, a pace that I couldn't keep up with, and I was wearing out. And this helped me see that. And I've heard tons of people say, I didn't realize how far I was from God. I didn't realize how distant I was from Him. And I've had people share with me how they've turned things into idols that they should not have turned into idols, whether it's their money, their bank account, whether it's their own health, whether it's their possessions or maybe their job or their career, maybe it's some other, um, maybe it's some other hobby or goal that they had in life that necessarily wasn't what God wanted for them, but it's what they were chasing after. I've had people tell me that they turn science and medicine into a God. And there's nothing wrong with medicine and science. I mean, I think God wants us to pursue those things but science medicine, it's a lousy God if you turn that into your ultimate God. So people tell me they turn certainty into a God. And then once we were faced with all this uncertainty, it was kind of like, oh, what, what do we do? Because we want everything to be certain and we want to have all these answers and all of a sudden we don't anymore. And all those things I just mentioned may not be bad in and of themselves, but they're lousy gods by themselves. 
I think we've had a time in our country, in our communities, to sit back and realize what really matters, what's most important. And we need to make sure now that we've had this time to reflect and hit restart and everything else, that we don't slip back into brokenness because, guys, it's easy to slip back into brokenness. Once things settle down, once things calm down, it's easy to slip back into brokenness. And that's why the Bible gives us this warning in 1 Corinthians 10. It says, so let the man who feels sure of his standing today be careful that he does not fall tomorrow. And that's what Nehemiah wants to get across to the people. He wants for them to know we don't need to go back to where we were. We need to fully commit to God now because God isn't finished with us. He may be finished with the wall, but he's not finished with us. And if we want to continue to live out his big dreams for our lives, we've got to fully commit ourselves to him now. And the same is true for us. If we want to live out God's big dreams for our lives today, we've got to fully commit our hearts to him now. It starts now. So what does Nehemiah do? Nehemiah points the people's hearts back to God. After the wall is finished, he gathers all the people of Jerusalem. They gather in the town square. Ezra, the priest, is brought out. And Ezra reads to the people God's word, God's law. And here's the thing. Some of the people had never heard God's law before. They had never heard God's word proclaimed before. And let's read and see what happens in the book of Nehemiah chapter 8. It says, so on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. They hung on every word. They were excited to hear God's word. You know why? They never heard it before. They never heard that God had a plan for their lives. I don't know what idea or image they had of God, but they didn't fully understand that the God who created them, he wasn't out to get them, but that he loved them. That actually all these instructions and teachings that God put in his law, it wasn't to keep them from really living, but it was to protect them so that they wouldn't ruin their lives as they had been doing. That there is a God in heaven who actually cares about them. That they mattered to him. And that even though they had rebelled against him and they had messed up and they had gone in the opposite direction of God, God still loved them. God still had a plan for them. God still had a purpose for them. And the people couldn't get enough of this. They were excited because they were realizing there was a God who cared about them, loved them, and had big, big dreams for them, even though they didn't deserve any of that. And you've probably heard me say before, what gets me out of bed every morning, what keeps me going, is when I hear stories or I see experiences where people finally get it. They come out of the spiritual concussion that they've been living in and and they realize that they were created for more than a life of reckless sin, but they were created to be recklessly loved by their Heavenly Father. I love seeing light bulbs come on and the fog lifting and cobwebs coming down and people realize that they were created for more than the emptiness that they've settled for in this life. I love seeing those experiences take place. I love hearing about those stories. It's what keeps me going and that's what's happening in Nehemiah's day. 
They're getting it. They're understanding who God is and that God has a big plan for their lives. Now, I want you to see how they respond. Nehemiah 8, verse 6 says, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, amen, yes, so be it, so be it. They're excited about what they're hearing. And then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So they get excited, amen, so be it, yes, Lord, yes, we love hearing this. They're excited to hear God's word preached. You know, you guys get excited when you hear me preach too, right? I hear all those amens, amens all the time, right? There we go. Okay, got one. Yes. Uh, But anyway, amen, yes. But then you know what happens next? They fall to their knees. They eat pavement. You know why? Because they're humbled that God still loves them. And they realize how much they have neglected the God who's always been there for them. So they start to mourn and they start to grieve because they realize just how far They've gone from God, and listen to what happens next. Listen to what Nehemiah and Ezra tell them. It says, then Nehemiah the governor and Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, to all the people, this day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the, of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. In other words, Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites, they're instructing the people and are saying, listen, we get it. We know you're upset because you've wandered so far away from God. We know you realize that you've blown it. You are repentant and remorseful, and that's not a bad thing, but today is a day of celebration. You know why? Because you found God again. And now that God is present in your life, the joy of heaven can invade the sadness of your lives. Now that God is present in your life again, the joy of the Lord can be your strength. Today is not a day of mourning. Today is a day of celebration because you have realized God's plan for your life. And the Bible says in verse 12 that then all the people went away to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. I want you to notice, they go away and they're full of great joy, not because the walls have been rebuilt. Why are they full of joy? Not because they succeeded at this huge task. They're full of joy because they now understood God's word. They understood God's promises for them, his will, his plan for them. And by knowing God's plan for their lives, by understanding their true purpose in life, they were full of joy. But here's the thing. It's not enough just to understand God's word, to know it. You've actually got to let it change you. You've got to live it out. You've got to put it into practice. See, that's why James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Put it into practice. Live it out. And so after you hear God's word, the first thing you need to do is figure out how to live it out. Once you hear God's word proclaimed, yeah, it's a great promise there, but now how do I do this? How do I actually live it out? How do I make sure that this happens in my life? That's what you got to do. It's not enough just to know it. you got to figure out how to live it out because if God is going to tell you to do something, there's a way for you to live it out and do it, and that's exactly what he expects. And so the people, they continue to read God's law, continue to read God's word. And as they do, they figure out there's some things that they've been missing. And one thing that they've been missing, one thing they haven't been doing, is celebrating one of the major feasts that God commanded them to celebrate. 
And what's interesting is this feast was only about two weeks away from when they were reading about it. Let's listen to what happens. As they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Basically, one of the three major feasts that the Jews were commanded to observe, one of them was known as the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles or Tents, basically. And what you did during this feast, it happened during the fall season, there's a certain week set aside, and the entire nation would leave their homes, their typical places where they dwell, where they lived, and they would go and they would set up tents, booths, tabernacles. And they would live in these tents for a week's time. Now, I've got a tent up here with me right now, and for some of you guys, the idea of living in a tent probably sounds pretty exciting because you do that anyway sometimes, you know? You go for a week camping or whatever, and you love spending time outdoors, and you love spending time in a tent. So the idea that God commands the people for a week to live in a tent, that's pretty awesome. Now, their tents didn't look like this, of course, but I couldn't get an ancient Israel tent. So anyway, this is what I've got. But still, I, that may sound like fun, but it was more than just sleeping in a tent for a week. The tents that they set up, they were symbolic of something bigger. They had a deeper spiritual meaning. See, the reason why God commanded the people to set up these tents and live in for a week goes back to what happened about a thousand years before their time. Back when Moses, God used Moses to deliver the people from the nation of Egypt. Remember, they were slaves in Egypt. And after God delivered them, they then wandered in, in the wilderness for years. And as they wandered in the desert, as they wandered in the wilderness... They were there because they had rebelled against God. And so they lived in tents, wandering around, not having permanent homes because they had rebelled against God. But here's the thing. Even though they were wandering in the wilderness for all those years, God still looked after them. God still provided for them. God still gave them food and water and protection while they were without permanent homes, while they were living in tents. God looked out for them. And here's the thing. The Israelites at that time could not have survived on their own in the wilderness if God hadn't been with them. Even in the midst of their rebellion, even in their midst, of their stubbornness, even in the midst of them going against God's will, God was still faithful to them. God still looked out uh, after them. And not only did they survive living in tents in the wilderness, God eventually keeps his promise and leads them to the promised land. Don't you think that that had special meaning for the people in Nehemiah's day? When all of a sudden they remember, hey, we've been living in this wilderness ourselves for a while. Our city has been broken down. Rubble, debris, our nation's been a mess. And yet, through all of our rebellion, through all of our stubbornness, God has continued to be faithful to us. And not only that, we find out God's had a plan for us all along. So you know what they do? They go and they build tents. They get back to the basics of depending upon God Again, because they realize it doesn't matter how big your walls are. If you're not willing to live in a tent, if you're not willing to fully depend on God, then nothing else really matters. See, I think that's why later on in Nehemiah chapter 9, they offer this prayer to God and they say in this prayer to God, you have acted faithfully while we have practiced evil. God, you've been faithful while we've been living in tents. You've been faithful while we've settled for a life that's much less than what you want us to live. And we realize that you've been faithful while we practiced evil. 
Sometimes a tent is much more than a tent. And so you know what the people do? Nehemiah tells us in chapter 8 that the whole company that had returned from exile built booths and lived in them from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day. The Israelites had not celebrated it like this, the feast like this, and their joy was very great. You know what happens? They're full of joy. They celebrate. And in fact, it says that the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, Tents, had not been celebrated like this since the days of Joshua. I mean, we're talking about centuries and centuries. It had not been celebrated like this. A great revival broke out among the people. You know why? Because the people realized what it meant to depend on God. They went back to the basics. They went back to say, hey, it doesn't matter what we have. If we have a city, if we have walls, it doesn't matter. If we're not depending on God, nothing else matters. And so they're willing to do whatever God wants them to do. They want to get back to the basics. And because they got back to the basics, a great revival broke out. And here's the thing. This revival that breaks out of the days of Nehemiah will impact the Jewish people for the next 400 years up until the time of Christ. And let me ask you, today, in the year 2021, do you think we need a revival? I do. And I think it starts with us going back to the basics. Because it's easy to get caught up focused on the wrong things and miss what's truly important. Guys, I want to be able to retire one day I want to live in a nice home. I want to drive decent cars. I want to have a comfortable life like most of you do as well. But here's the thing, even if I don't have any of those things, I have what's most important. Because in the end, none of that stuff is going to matter. In the end, what's going to matter is if I was pursuing the God who created me and loves me, and if I have a relationship with him. And sometimes we need to be awakened to what really matters. I want my son to play basketball, and I want my daughter to be successful in dance if that's what they want to do. But if he doesn't make the team one year, what matters more to me is that he's a follower of Jesus Christ one day. Same goes for my daughter. I want to focus on what matters. Because when I stand before my God, the only thing that's going to matter is if I knew his son. That's why a while back we created here at First Church this triangle. Something that we can bump up against every now and then to make sure that we are remembering what's most important. Because we think that a healthy spiritual life is a balanced life. It's a balanced life of three key things. It's pursuing Jesus growing together in community and unleashing love. And you gotta have a healthy balance of this in life. It starts with pursuing Jesus personally. We need to all be pursuing Jesus in our own lives. And that means not just corporate worship. That's important. We need to be worshiping with our church family and communing with our church family. But we also need to be worshiping him in daily life. We need to be reading our Bibles daily. We need to be praying daily. We need to be teaching our kids about Jesus daily. We need to be pursuing him daily. We also need to be growing together in community. There's a reason why the word church 
Ecclesia means the assembly. It's the assembly of people. Community is important. Having a Christian community that will hold you accountable, that will encourage you and lift you up, is essential to our spiritual growth. And that may look different in our pandemic world, but you still need Christian friends, brothers and sisters who will be there for you, who will hold you up, hold you accountable, encourage you, whatever it takes, and even challenge you when you need to be challenged. We need to grow together in community, and we also need to be unleashing love. This is our service aspect of the triangle We need to be telling people about Jesus, showing people love. We need to be serving people. This is what it takes. In this triangle, we believe this is what it takes to have a healthy spiritual life. And so we, this is something we can bump up against every now and then just to make sure we are remembering the basics. We are remembering what's most important. What's cool is you find these principles all throughout Scripture, but you also find them all in the story of Nehemiah. Because when the people finally got it, And this revival breaks out. You know what happens? Well, we see they're pursuing Jesus. They're worshiping. They're falling to their knees. They're seeking him. They're studying God's word. They are pursuing Jesus. They are worshiping him. But we also see that they're growing together. One part of the passage I didn't read is whenever Ezra or whoever would read the the law to the people, the Levites would break out in smaller groups and they would explain the law to people. You know, they'd break out in smaller groups. They could talk about it and understand it because it wasn't enough just to hear. You had to understand it. You had to grow together. We see examples in Nehemiah of families coming back together and say, hey, we're going to start living our family life differently now because we understand what it means to grow together as a family and then unleashing love. The people were taking this good news that they heard out to the other parts of, of, of Judea. They were spreading the news. And not only that, they were also coming and tithing again. And they were bringing their offerings back to the temple so that they could continue to carry out God's work. They were unleashing love. Nehemiah challenged the people to do these things. And so that's what I want to do today. I'm not Nehemiah and I don't pretend to be. <laughs> but I think we need a challenge because we talk a lot about a revival breaking out in our country. And we pray for, for revival, and we should keep praying for revival in our nation. Don't misunderstand me. But I think if we truly want a revival to happen, it's got to start with us. It's got to start right here with me and with you. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to challenge everybody listening to this message, whether you're in person or online, I want to challenge you to commit or recommit these three things and what we're going to do is we're going to next week have a celebration Sunday and I'm going to have cards or we have cards available today little cards I've got one here with me but if you fill one of these cards out it's real simple just I commit with the rest of our first church family to pursue Jesus daily grow together in community unleash love on others if you will sign that card and turn it back in next week we're going to have something pretty cool happen and you may say, why do you want us to sign a card? What's to be done? Now, this isn't placing membership in our church or anything like that. Don't misunderstand me. This is just that you want to do these three things. Why have you sign a card? Well, that's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah 9, verse 38, look what it says. It says, in view of all this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are fixing their seals to it. In other words, Nehemiah knew talk is cheap. <laughs> and so he said, we're going to put it in writing. And if you're willing to make this commitment, you can fill out one of these cards. You can pick them up today. They'll be available outside. But also, there's an online version of this. So if you don't want to touch a card, you can go to the app and do it. And this is what's going to happen. Next week, if you turn in one of these cards, you're going to get a magnet that has our little triangle on it. You can put it on your fridge as a daily reminder of these three basic elements that we want everybody to be practicing as a church family. But then also, you're going to get a light bulb, too. 
And I'll explain what we're going to do with this next week. This is going to be really cool. But you'll get a light bulb as well. And we want everybody to do it, not just one per family, one per person. We want everybody to do it. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus right now, that's okay. We want you to be pursuing Jesus for the first time. And if you want to talk to us about being baptized into Christ, if you want to talk to us about following Jesus, you can start the triangle journey today or next week or whenever. We want you to do that. So if you need to talk to us about getting baptized, about following Jesus for the first time, we are more than happy to do that. But if you already are following Jesus, whether you're a member of our church or not, if you've been worshiping with us, I want to challenge you to commit to those three things because sometimes we need to be reminded about what really matters. Because here's the thing. If we want to live out God's big dreams for our lives, We've got to fully commit our hearts to him now. I hope next week is a week that we never forget as a church family. And I think it can be, but it all depends on how we respond to the challenge that God is giving us. Are you ready to live in tents again? If it means fully depending on God, I sure am. I can't wait to see what big dreams God has in store for us. If God's been moving in your life for the past 52 days in any way, you heard Brian, our host, just a minute ago talk about submitting one of those stories. Make sure that you do that. We want to share those next week as well. But I can't wait to see what God has in store for us if we respond to him in faith. Let's live out God's big dreams for us. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today, and I thank you for this chance we had to open up your word and study it. And Father, we understand that it's not just about doing big tasks for you, like building a wall. Father, this is all about us being restored to you. And every single one of us have had seasons where we have been at a distance from you. And maybe right now some of us have really gone through a hard season like that. And even if we haven't, Father, we can always be reminded about what's most important. So I pray that together as a church family, everyone, every one of us commits to pursuing your son, to growing in community, and to unleashing your love on this world. And Father, I pray a big prayer right now that as we pray about that and think about that this week, I pray that next week is the beginning of a revival in this place that far outreaches just what happens in Owasso. But Father, that does great, mighty things for your son's name. And it's through his name, Jesus Christ, that I pray. Amen.